The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. Uh, well, today I thought we would look at the book of Proverbs together. Uh, and, and don't forget, after this, we will, uh, we will have our, our potluck together. Uh, will we need to stack chairs after this, Janine, before I... We will, okay. So we'll pray for the food. After the sermon, we'll pray for the food, stack chairs, and then go stuff our faces. Uh, let me say a prayer for us as we, uh, as we turn to God's word here. Father, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to gather together and to lift up your name and to worship you. Uh, what a good and gracious and loving God that you are. And we just thank you for the opportunity to, 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 uh, to come here today and to honor you. We pray for our time uh, of um, preaching the gospel. Lord, we pray that you might be here with us. Uh, bless this time together. Uh, I pray that uh, your good news might be heard today as we look at uh, the book of Proverbs. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, when I was a, uh, a young man, a younger man, in college and in seminary, uh, I learned that a long time ago, the, the intellectual elites of Europe abandoned God for the sake of atheism. Uh, back in the late 1800s, a guy by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, he had the audacity to say, uh, God is dead and we have killed him. Uh, and when he said those words, uh, right in the 1880s, in a work called Thus Spoke Zarathustra, when he said that, uh, he wasn't delighted. He was very troubled. Because uh, Nietzsche, despite being an atheist, he was also a, a sharp thinker, and he knew that if there was no God, that there would be no rules. Uh, if there was no God, there would be no right and there would be no wrong. And we would end up with a, a society that became... Uh, sort of pointless. We would have a meaningless existence. There'd be no rhyme or reason to life if there is no God. And so it's, very, it's a very troubling notion to contemplate that. And of course, we as, as believers and readers of God's word, we know this isn't true. And we're not troubled uh, by life being meaningless. Life has great meaning, deep meaning. Uh, and that's wonderful. But the world we live in is not on that same path. The world we live in is on the the path of Nietzsche and meaninglessness. Uh, there was a famous author uh, from Russia by the name of Tolstoy. He wrote uh, War and Peace and Anna Karenina. Maybe you've heard of these books. I don't know if you've read them. I think War and Peace is uh, it's like a doorstop. It's a, it's a massive work. Uh, but when he hit the age of 50, he sort of came to an existential crisis in his own life, and he became greatly discouraged. And... Uh, I'll read for you how Tolstoy saw things. He says, today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come to those I love, or to me. Nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten, and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? And how go on living? That is what is surprising. One can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible to see, it is impossible not to see that it is all a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. And I'm giggling. I should giggle. It's a very depressing, I mean, he was sort of a depressing Russian author anyway. 
Uh, but this is how he saw life, uh, his life without God in the view. Uh, and this is the view of the world that results when you try to understand life without the existence of God. And I think this is why David declares in Psalm 41, the fool says in his heart there is no God, right? Because it leads to foolishness uh, and meaninglessness. But wait, there's more. Uh, that wasn't all I learned about these atheists from years past. I was also warned by, you know, my, my professors back in the day that their godless view of the world would come to corrupt the very fabric of society. I was warned that, that we were heading towards a society that was confused about right and wrong. Truth would become relative. People would simply determine for themselves, for themselves what was true. Even things like math or genetics, right? What I, how I see it, if two plus two equals five, that's true for me. It might not be true for you, and we can't even argue about it. Uh, I was warned that this is where we were headed. And I could see why I was given these warnings. You know, Nietzsche and, and the rest of those guys had, had done, you know, some bad things in their thinking. But to be honest, back then, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I really wasn't all that worried. You know, I, I sort of thought we were doing okay. And things might even get better. Uh, boy, you know, I was, I was wrong about that. I don't think things have gotten better. In fact, a few weeks ago, I was watching a bit of Dr. Phil uh, on YouTube, which I don't normally do. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not one for daytime television, but I do get on YouTube and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, learn things or waste time uh, or both. And Dr. Phil on the, one day had on a, a panel of experts uh, that were discussing gender and sexuality. And uh, there was one solitary voice on this show that supported a traditional perspective. And this poor soul, he really had his work cut out for him that day uh, because he was at odds with uh, the panel of experts and he was at odds with Dr. Phil and he was at odds with the entire studio audience. However, he managed to undo, he managed to dismantle his opponents by asking one simple question, right? He simply asked, well, what is a woman? That was his question. And the panel of experts sort of didn't know how to answer this. They hemmed and they hawed and they tried to evade the question, but he pressed them. And the entire panel of gender experts were forced to admit that, you know, they really couldn't say. Uh, in fact, they, they felt that the definition really was for uh, each individual woman to decide for herself, right? That's the conclusion they came to, right? These, these, of course, there's this great irony of they're gender experts, and yet the basic question of what is a man, what is a woman, they really could not answer. And so I find this troubling, this saddens me, uh, that we live in a country where people believe that right and wrong are simply, they're in the eye of the beholder. And it saddens me to live in a country where gender experts have determined that the definition of woman or man is really an unanswerable mystery. And so I do thank God that my, my kingdom Right? My kingdom is not of this world, as Jesus says. Uh, we live here in the United States of America, and we're blessed to do so. There's many good things about our country that I love. Uh, but my ultimate allegiance is to God's kingdom, and I'm thankful for that on days where I stumble upon uh, Dr. Phil on YouTube. So I think that more than ever, uh, the church, uh, we are in desperate need of the wisdom of God. The, na the nation of, that we live in, 
professing to become wise has really become foolish, as Paul says in Romans. And so today we'll be looking at the Bible's book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, and we'll be looking at its, one of its most famous passages on wisdom, which is Proverbs chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, let's turn to Proverbs. So just before Psalms there near the middle, or just after Psalms there in the middle of your Bible. All right, and we will read uh, Proverbs chapter 8. We'll read the, uh, the start of the chapter, a few, for a, few, a few verses, and then we'll move on um, to verses 22 and following. All right. All right, I think I have the words for you on the screen there as well. Yep. Okay, so... Uh, in Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon writes for us, Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? At the heights overlooking the road, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the main entrance, she cries out, People, I call to you. My cry is to the children of Adam. Moving on to verse 22, we read, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his creation. Before his works of long ago, I was formed before ancient times. From the beginning, before the earth began, I was born. And there were no, when there were no watery depths and no springs filled with water, before the mountains were established, prior to the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the land, the fields, or the first soil on the earth, I was there when he established the heavens, when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above, when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid out the foundations of the earth, I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of Adam. Uh, so, what is wisdom exactly? I was, this is such a great question we often don't think about. Uh, have you ever tried to define it? Like, what is wisdom? We sort of know it when we see it. Or better yet, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? You know, because a person can know a lot of things and uh, still not be very wise. You know, I, I don't ever want to be that guy, you know, where I, I know lots of things, but uh, I, I end up becoming foolish. That can happen. Uh, the book of Job, the book of Psalms, and the book of Proverbs all say the same thing when it comes to wisdom. They all tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the way I look at it, at its core, wisdom comes through a life where God is revered, where God is revered and honored by us. This results in a life of wisdom. When we take our knowledge, when we take our talents, and we use them in a way that is pleasing to God, we use them in a way that is loving, that is God-honoring, then we use these things wisely. Or to put it more simply, wisdom is knowledge used in a godly way taking your knowledge and applying it in a godly way. That is wisdom. And so let's look at our passage again here, verses 1 through 4. Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? 
At the heights overlooking the road at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading to the city, at the main entrance, she cries out, People, I call to you. My cry is to the children of Adam. <clears throat> I love that this passage starts by asking if we can hear wisdom calling. Right? Can you hear her? You know, I sort of wait and listen. Uh, the question implies that we have a choice uh, in the matter. We can listen to wisdom and we can answer her. Or we can ignore her and we can go on our merry way. So that's our, our first lesson for today. Uh, wisdom is calling. Will you answer? Wisdom is calling. Will you answer her? And where does she call? Looking at her passage, she calls at the heights, overlooking the road, at the crossroads, at the gates of the city, at the main entrance. You know, for the, for the Israelites back in the day, these were the places where life was really happening. This was where the busyness of life was located. In the times and places where things are getting done, this is where wisdom is needed. We worship and we serve a very practical God. And he's concerned with our day-to-day -day activities. Right? God's wisdom can be a blessing to you in all aspects of your life. This is a wonderful, Proverbs is such a practical book in that sense. Right? Like doing the shopping, which is always a challenge, uh, especially if you're shopping for uh, multiple people. Making big life decisions, right? Learning to get along with family members. That needs wisdom. How to manage your time. What career path should you take, right? Those things need wisdom. How do you parent a child, right? <laughs> Lord, help us, right? That needs wisdom. I think about Samuel and Katie, right? And they're, uh, of course, they're not here with us today. I'm sure they're with their, with their newborn. Samuel might do special music next week. Uh, but... Uh, I don't think they know what they've signed up for. That needs wisdom, uh, being a parent. Uh, when should you buy a new vehicle? How do you respond to that friend? How do you deal with conflict? What should I watch on television? I mean, really, anything you can think of, it needs the wisdom of God. It needs wisdom. And so there's no area in your life that could use less wisdom. And so like Jesus in the New Testament... Right? Wisdom is calling to us. Right? Calling to you. She invites us to learn from her. And we should be aware that wisdom isn't always a simple thing to acquire. Right? Wisdom sometimes comes with difficult situations. It comes with maybe being humbled. Uh, it comes with a, a certain amount of humility. But nevertheless, she is calling to us. And we should answer her. Well, let's read on here and look at verses 22 through 26. Okay. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his creation. Before his works of long ago, I was formed before ancient times. Before ancient times. From the beginning, from before the earth began, I was born. When there were no watery depths and no springs filled the water. Before the mountains were established, prior to the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the land, the fields, or the first soil on the earth. The second lesson we can uh, learn from this passage is that heavenly wisdom is eternal. Now the atheist will tell you that the universe contains 
three things, and three things alone, and these are time, matter, and chance. And that's it. That's what the universe contains, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, so there is no God. There is no spirit. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. There's no such thing as love. Everything is random uh, for the atheist. And the atheist will admit that as humans, we do sort of come up with these things. We'll come up with ideas like love and human rights, which, you know, evolved by accident, evidently. Uh, we come up with these things, but they don't really exist. Uh, they exist only in our minds. And if, and if we disagree about what they, what's right, what's wrong, what things mean, well, there's really no way of, of knowing who's right. That's all a fiction for them. And as followers of Christ, and as readers of scriptures, we know this is so far from the truth. Our passage today says something diametrically opposed to what the world teaches. The meaninglessness uh, that our world is headed towards is diametrically opposed to what we find here in Proverbs 8. Proverbs teaches us that every bit of creation came about through the wisdom of God. Right? These verses are filled with references to, allusions to, the story of creation and Genesis. The Lord possessed me at the beginning, our text says. From the beginning before the earth began, our text says. It's the same language that we find in Genesis 1.1. In the story of creation, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep. It is a picture of watery chaos. As the text in Genesis says, the earth was formless and and void or formless and empty. Our text today tells us that before all that chaos even existed, God's wisdom was there and she was waiting to do her work. Our God is not a God of chaos. Instead, he brings order to the chaos, right? You may have chaos in your life, right? And wisdom, heavenly wisdom, God's wisdom brings order to that chaos. And this is what we see in Genesis 1. With wisdom, God spoke the world into existence and he gave it meaning and purpose. And when we look at creation, when we look at physical creation, we see this, right? Whenever we take high-powered microscopes and we look deep inside the human body, right? Wherever we look, as deep as we can look, we see order and function. And I'm not, I didn't like enjoy biology classes in high school or college. Uh, sorry, Mr. Kaditz, uh, if you're watching. Uh, but, uh, but I do know that uh, everything is very structured, right? And, uh, and we went through that in those classes. As deep as you can look into the human body, there's structure and there's order. It's not chaos. And then same the other way. If you take high-powered telescopes, whether it's the Hubble telescope or some other planetarium, uh, as far as we can look, as deep as we can look into space, we see order and function. There is an intelligent design to creation, right? Our world was created with wisdom. You were created with wisdom, and it might not always feel that way. I certainly don't always feel that way, uh, but it's true. God created you with wisdom. As it says in Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Or as our text on the screen there says, for I have been remarkably and wondrously made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And this is one of the one of the wonderful things we can do as believers if we stop and just think, if we sort of meditate on what God has created. When we look at our sort of creation, ourselves as part of creation, as we look at the splendor of creation, it leads us to wonder and awe, and we, we want to glorify our creator who made these things. And that's that's because we were created with the wisdom of God. We see it. So God's wisdom was there in the beginning, before the world was formed. Look at verse 25. Uh, before the mountains were established, prior to the hills. So literally, God's wisdom is older than the hills. I mean, what a great phrase. And I'm not sure if it comes from Proverbs 8, but it's a good uh, uh, way for us to remember uh, that God's wisdom uh, is eternal. Because it's linked with his character. God is eternal. His wisdom is eternal. And our creation uh, was, came about through wisdom. Well, let's read on to the, uh, to the end of our passage today. Verses 27 through 31. I was there when he established the heavens. When he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean. When he placed the skies above. When the fountains of the ocean gushed out when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid out the foundations of the earth. I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of Adam. The third lesson we can take from our passage today is that our world was created with wisdom. And also that Christ is the wisdom of God. Uh, as we read here, wisdom is the skilled craftsman. The skilled craftsman who was with God as he established the heavens, as he placed the skies, as he set a limit to the sea, as he laid the foundations of the earth. And you might wonder about the second part of our third point here. Uh, you didn't see Jesus mentioned in the text. Uh, however, our New Testament authors, they see a parallel to Proverbs 8 in the person of Jesus. One of the earliest hymns written within the church uh, is found in Colossians 1, and that was our scripture reading for today from A and, and uh, Ashley. And this passage seems to have been written with Proverbs 8 in mind. I'll just read a few verses of it here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Uh, that sounds very much like wisdom in Proverbs 8. This passage also resonates with the opening of the gospel according to John. So I'll read a few uh, verses from that uh, passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Like wisdom in Proverbs 8. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and the world was created through him. Now, to be fair, Proverbs 8 is not 
giving us a description of, you know, a pre-incarnate Jesus or something like that. Proverbs 8 is poetry that describes the wisdom of God using certain metaphors, and it's powerful and wonderful all on its own. However, when the New Testament writers, when they associate Proverbs 8 with Jesus, this is a powerful way of saying that Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom, right? And he said many things that have been written down for us to study and learn from. Jesus is the wisdom of God. The New Testament says this. It's a wonderful truth. And so let's, let's think about that for a moment. Jesus as the wisdom of God. You know, when Jesus walked this earth, you know, before he ascended, you know, what did he do with his, with his day, with his time? You know, he was a teacher. He was a rabbi. In Matthew 13, 54, uh, we read, he went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? You know, he goes to his hometown and they're like, who is this guy? Jesus, when did you get so wise? Right? They were amazed by his wisdom. They didn't even know who they were speaking about, his hometown friends. So Jesus was known as a rabbi or a teacher. Right? These titles are associated with wisdom. And how about his followers? What title did they receive? Right? They were called disciples. Right? Disciple is a word that means student. Right? Uh, the, the word that's behind your English in the New Testament is mathetes, where we get the word math, which might be discouraging for some of us. Right? Like they were, or they were like the mathletes or the, uh, the math students. Well, math has to do with study uh, in, the, in the Greek language. And so these were uh, followers who who were with Jesus, and they studied his teachings, right? They grew in wisdom as they followed Christ, in part because of study and thinking and, dis and discussing, right? This is what they did. It wasn't just about accepting certain things as true. It wasn't a checklist of beliefs. They were engaged in study. They spent time in God's word. This is what being a disciple means. So have we ever stopped to, to think uh, that a crucial part of our walk with Christ is study, right? If we are followers of Christ, we must grow in wisdom. We must study Scripture. We must meditate on God's Word. And as we do this, it's a wonderful process. God puts, he puts our efforts to good use, and we grow in wisdom. Uh, this is a practical benefit of our lives today, right? You feel like the world might be going off the deep end and life is becoming meaningless. Well, you have a job to do. We all have a job to do. And that is to be disciples, to study, to spend time in his word and to learn and to grow. And though it requires effort on our part, it's also a delight, right? Our passage today uh, in, in verse 30, it teaches us that God daily delights in wisdom and she rejoices before him. Wisdom also takes delight in the children of Adam, right? That's us. That's a phrase meaning humans, and we're humans. And wisdom takes delight in us. God takes delight in wisdom, and wisdom takes delight in us. Wisdom is a wonderful means for us to connect with God, our creator. Wisdom is a delight. It's a joy, even though it requires effort on our part and study. And so I ask, I ask you and I ask myself, what efforts are we putting forward today?
towards our own discipleship, right? When does discipleship end, right? So oftentimes new people come to the faith and think, well, you know, you should, you should uh, be engaged in discipleship. Maybe you should join a study group or you should read through this material, right? And when does that discipleship end, right? Of course it doesn't end. Uh, we're always learning because we are finite and our God is infinite. And we, uh, he is infinitely wise and we are finitely wise. So and it's a wonderful thing. We always get to grow in wisdom, right? Never not working. And so, yeah, what efforts have you, are you putting towards your own discipleship? Do you spend time in his word? Is there a study tool uh, from a good author that you enjoy? Uh, do you spend time thinking and discussing the truths of God with other believers? Right? Are you sort of owning these ideas for yourself? Uh, I know they're, they're, they're looking to get Bible studies up and running again. Have you signed up for one of those? I say this not to, you know, hey, hey, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. I don't say it in that way. But what a wonderful challenge we have from the Word today that we can grow in wisdom. And we should be conscious and deliberate as we do that. So if you are a follower of Christ, then you are a disciple of Christ. A disciple who should be growing in the wisdom of God. And so wisdom's calling. And will we answer? Right? Christ, the wisdom of God, is calling us. And will we answer him? Uh, well, let's, uh, let me say a prayer, and then we'll, we'll respond with one song and singing together, and then we'll pray for the food. So let's, uh, let's pray together.